Now I will turn it over to Daniel for any opening remarks before we take questions. Daniel? Thanks, Andrew. Um, first of all, thank you guys for, for jumping on today. Um, it's going to be a it's going to be a fun draft. Um, you know, we kind of look at it from the thirty thousand foot view here. Um, I think there's about fifteen to sixteen players that everybody in the league kind of agrees are the top guys. And then after that, once you get to uh, you know seventeen, eighteen, all the way to you know fifty or sixty, they're in all different order uh, there. So it creates a, a lot of uncertainty of what's going to happen in the back half of the first round, which will be fun. And, uh, you know, as we stand right now, it still looks like Kyler Murray, uh, to me, will be the first overall pick, but that's not nailed down. So there's a little bit of drama still left uh, at the top of the draft. But uh, it's a historically good defensive line group, and I think we'll see that reflected in the, in the first 15 picks of this year's draft. Um, so with that, I'll, uh, I'll open it up, and uh, let's get going. Thank you, Daniel. And now I'll turn it over to our moderator to take questions for Daniel. Due to the large number of media we have on today's call, we ask that you please ask one question and refrain from asking any follow-ups. Thank you. Thank you. If you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one on your phone. Unmute your phone and record your name clearly when prompted. Your name is required to introduce your question and to cancel your request, press star followed by the number two. Our first question is coming from Josh Katzenstein of New Orleans Times PyCune. Your line is now open. Hey Daniel, yeah, sorry for two, but uh, I guess just initial uh, thoughts on you know what the Saints need, and then I'm also wondering from your time as a scout, did you ever have a time where you didn't have a first round pick, and just what is that weight like? Because the Saints are obviously going to be in that situation. Yeah, no, thanks. Um, I'll answer the, the last part first. I was in Cleveland one year where we didn't pick till the fourth round. So I don't have any sympathy for uh, teams that, that have to wait till the second round. Uh, <laughs> try waiting till round four. Uh, ate a lot of cookies uh, while we sat and watched a bunch of people pick players. So uh, it can be frustrating um, having to sit and wait. But, again, as I kind of mentioned at the top, I, I think there's so little difference between player 20 and uh, and, and who player is going to be in the 60s, you know, or the 50s. So and the Saints uh, are 62. So uh, there's there's going to be a player they're going to really like there. In terms of needs or where I could see them going, uh, I've done a, tried to do a better job this year tracking who these teams are spending time with. And uh, and all those signs point towards corner, uh, cornerback being a place where they could look. I also think wide receivers a possibility, and uh, interior defensive linemen. Those are uh, those are three areas I think you could look at the at the Saints addressing. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Rich Campbell of Chicago Tribune. Your line is now open. Hey Daniel, speaking of a. Uh, uh team that doesn't pick in the first or second round, the, looking at the Bears and their search for a running back in this draft. And I'm curious what you see the strengths and weaknesses are of two guys, Dexter Williams from Notre Dame and Daryl Henderson from Memphis. Sure. Uh, two good players. Uh, let's start with uh, with Dexter. You know, missed the games due to the suspension, but once he got out there, he's got some home run ability. I, he, didn't, he didn't run quite as fast as I, as I thought he would. Um, but in the high four fives, but he runs hard. He's got a little bit of a, of a higher pad level, which is something he'll have to work on. Um, but you see the big time burst. I, I like the fact he's, he's effective in pass protection. Uh, that's going to be big, especially in that offense. Uh, that helps him out a little bit there. 
Uh, Henderson is the you know is a true home run hitter. He he presses the hole no nonsense, and he's got a lot of uh, of top end speed. He plays much faster than the four four nine he ran. He's a little bit stiff, um, but he runs lower to the ground. He's got good vision, and he's just more of a uh, he's more of a hit it guy uh, than Dexter. I have Henderson uh, Henderson over uh, Dexter Williams, and I think he'll when it's all said and done, he'll end up going over him. I think uh, both of them, though, you can make a case would be good fits there. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Ben Volin of Boston Globe. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for doing this today, buddy. Um, no problem. Just curious, when it comes to the Patriots and the draft, does having Belichick and Brady, does that allow them to take some unique chances or unique approaches to the draft? Well, I mean, it's always – uh, nice fallback. Uh, I, I think more than anything else, they just know uh, what works with them. When you have the continuity that they have, and and the you know elite elite people in those roles and those two roles as head coach and quarterback, they know they have a real good feel for where their team is and what they need and and what they would do with guys if they were to bring them in. So um, there's zero guesswork, you know, how guys would fit and function and what they do. So um, I, that is a uh, that's huge. I think with them, you know, looking at them this year, I think getting some more size uh, at the receiver position makes sense. Obviously, the tight end position, trying to address that, bring in Austin Safarian Jenkins, I think that frees them up. Um, if they want to look at some tight ends that not necessarily are the inline guy, they can find more of that move tight end. Irv Smith is one that comes to mind. Um, if somebody would be a compliment to Austin Safarian Jenkins and have your inline guy to go along with your move guy. Um, but your original question, yeah, I mean, it's uh, scouting-wise, when I was in Baltimore, knowing we had Ray Lewis on defense, that made it easy for us to scout defensive players because we knew, you know, Ray would kind of get them going and, and uh, we had that leader there. Uh, I, I'd never been in a position with a team where we had anybody, you know, remotely close to uh, what Tom does offensively. But, man, that's a, that's a nice luxury to have. Thanks, man. No problem. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Mark Gunn of Buffalo News. Your line is now open. Yes, I see you have uh, sweat going falling down, falling uh, to 17. What are you hearing about uh, differences of opinion on his medical report? And what are some other prominent guys who you, or get, who come to mind off the top of your head who you think there's going to be on some boards and then not on some boards because of their medicals? Yeah, I mean, more so than anything else, you know, the uh, the medical um, and the character is what gets guys removed from your board. I have not talked to anybody on Montez Sweat that has uh, that has completely removed him from their board, um, but it is. I have talked to some teams that ah, we have a little bit of a concern there, and it can be a tiebreaker. So the reason why I have him kind of sliding down a little bit, not because of anything he's done as a player or because um, you're worried he's, he's failed a bunch of physicals. Um, I have them slide down a little bit because if, if you feel somebody else is in that same range or same ballpark, it can be kind of a tiebreaker. Um, so that's why I had him uh, slide into the Giants there uh, in the first round. But uh, I don't anticipate you're going to see a major fall with him. Um, the other medical stuff, you know, it, it's interesting. This year, for the most part, um, the medical guys have been more fourth, fifth, sixth round type players. And I, and I always feel – weird trying to put that stuff out there. If it's not already out there, I'm not trying to put anybody's medical information out there. So I'll, 
I, I won't go there on those guys. But I can tell you, you know, a player like Hollywood Brown, um, people are very confident. I talked to a general manager this morning that, that they feel 100% confident he'll return um, to what he was, and their doctors were fine with him. Um, you look at the uh, the situation with Jeff Simmons, uh, there's a confidence uh, in him that he's going to be back to, to full strength. So I've actually got really good medical reports on some of those injured guys, you know, first, second round type guys. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Paul Domovich of Philadelphia Inquirer. Your line is now open. Yeah, Daniel. Um, after the first round, the Eagles have two picks in the latter part of the second round, 53 and 57. Uh, what do you think the running back crop is going to look like at, at that point in the second round as far as guys that would be good fits for their uh, for their scheme? Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be kind of the sweet spot. I think you'll see some running backs kind of go in the late second, early third round. Um, you know, you look at Damian Harris from Alabama. Uh, I think he kind of fits that bill. It's kind of whatever style you want. Um, I, I think, you know, the real intriguing name, which had some risk, you talk about medical, uh, just because of the, the number of injuries that Rodney Anderson from Oklahoma has had, but his upside is tremendous. I mean, you can go watch him. Um, in the game against uh, Georgia in the bowl game last year, and you can kind of see what he is. I mean, he is a tremendous player, uh, but that would be kind of a wild card. Um, and then uh, and then in that bottom second, I think that's probably where the conversation comes in with Justice Hill from Oklahoma State, who's just pure speed. You know, you bring in a Jordan Howard, you kind of have the power guy. They've got to find a way to get more explosive, and that's where, you know, somebody like that would make some sense to me, and that's I think most people have him in the third-round range, but bottom of the second round, I think it's fair to have that conversation with a guy like Justice Hill uh, who would make some sense there. I, I thought early on in the process, you might have a chance to see the uh, the Penn State running back at that point in time and Miles Sanders, um, but there's just too much juice on him. There's too much heat. Uh, there's too many teams that like him. I, I think he'll more than likely be off the board at that point in time. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Chris Brown of BuffaloBills.com. Your line is now open. Yeah, Daniel, uh, just with respect to Andre Dillard, Jonah Williams, Jawan Taylor, can you just give me who you feel is the safest pick of those three, who has the highest ceiling of those three, and who has the most work to do once they get to the NFL? Sure. Uh, to me, the safest, I would probably say Jonah because – um, look, Jonas played a lot of ball at a very high level against elite players. Um, he's played right tackle. He's played left tackle. I believe he can kick inside. I think that's where, you know, where I personally where I think he's going to end up. I think he's going to be a very good player in there. Uh, but when you consider the, the number of snaps, the level of competition, um, the way he's come across in, in interviews with teams around the league, I've, I've heard has been very impressive. To me, he's the high floor guy. Um, now, is he have the, you know, he's not, he's not, he doesn't have that type of size or, or elite athleticism that I would put the ceiling very high, but I think he's got a chance to be just a real solid player. Um, maybe he could even be a Pro Bowl player on the inside, in my opinion. Um, then when you go to highest upside, to me it's Dillard. He's the he's already the best pass protector in the bunch. Got a chance to do a lot of it there uh, for Mike Leach at Washington State. Oh, he did a nice job at the Senior Bowl in the run game, um, getting better every day. It just He wasn't exposed to it. So getting a chance to, to show that he could pick that up and learn and grow, 
I think he's got a chance to be, you know, a, a real solid in the run game. He's not going to be somebody that's going to drive you to the ground, uh, but he can just kind of get on you, stay attached, and, and stay walled up. Um, but the, the pass protection and the athleticism was what gives him the highest upside. And then Taylor, to me, is uh, he's just the most physical. I mean, he's somebody that just gets, he can move people in the run game uh, at the point of attack. Um, I think he's going to be a really good right tackle. Some people think he's going to kick inside. I think he can hold up out there. Um, he's athletic enough when you watch him against Florida State, against Brian Burns, uh, he was able to kick out and, and cover him up with the speed. But to me, he's just the nasty guy um, who's, uh, who brings who will bring the most physicality to the position. He's probably got some work to do just technique-wise, hand-wise, um, that, that needs to be ironed out compared to the other two. So, to answer your question about some room to grow, he would probably be that guy. But to me, you've got the elite pass protector, you've got the steady Eddie, and then you've got the mauler. That's how I would describe those three guys. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Gene Frenette of Florida Times Union. Your line is now open. Uh, Daniel, first of all, thank, thank you very much for doing this. I uh, wanted to ask you about, uh, about TJ Hawkinson. Uh, he, he seems to be gathering a lot of momentum the closer we get to the draft. Uh, you've had him as a number five prospect. Uh, you got him number nine in your mock draft. Uh, what is your opinion of him in any way possibly being a generational type, uh, type tight end? Because we all know that tight ends don't go in the top ten very often. No, good question. Um, and, look, he's – he is not the uh, like Vernon Davis, who we saw go really high, who just had that rare, you know, rare athleticism. He's not that. Um, I, I just think when you look at the success of a player like Jason Witten and the career that he's had and the skill set he possesses, I know a lot of people have, have made the uh, comparison with Gronk. You know, Gronk is a Gronk is a unicorn. Um, as big as he was and as athletic as he was, he there's I don't know that we'll ever see anybody like him. Um, but with with Hawkinson. I just look and, and see the way Jason Witten has had his career, and I think uh, I think he's got a chance to be that exact same guy. And if you you know look, he's going Witten's going to be a Hall of Famer. If we had to do that draft over again, he'd go in the he'd go in the top fifteen, no question. So um, that's who I see him as. I think we we talk so much about him in the run game and how dominant he is, which he's outstanding, and it's it's just hard to find guys that are good in the run game at the tight end position now. Um, but I think. You know, he's not a he's not a four five guy. He ran, you know, four seven flat. He's very, very skilled as a route runner. He's nuanced. Um, he's a guy that knows how to use leverage and create separation. And to me, and you look at the tight ends that have played long, long, long careers, you know, at the end of their careers, you know, Antonio Gates still going. He can't really run right now. And you look at the Gonzalez at the end of his career, these tight ends are still productive because they understand the nuance they understand how to how to work in space. Uh, there's a craftiness to that position. You know all the option routes that you can run. He's really really good at all that stuff. He's just not going to blow right by you and run past you. He's going to have to set you up. But I, I think he's a little underrated as a as a route runner and a, and a, catch, a pass catcher. Uh, but Jason Witten to me, that's what I envision him being. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Eric Branch of the San Francisco Chronicle. Your line is now open. Hi there. I had a question about two defensive players, I guess. First with uh, Nick Bosa. Is there a play that comes to mind that kind of best captures 
why he's widely viewed as you know the the best overall prospect. And then on uh, Washington's Ben Burkirvan, uh, you know I think a lot of people think his size won't allow his uh, production to translate in the NFL. Uh, do you kind of hold that opinion, or what do you see him as in the NFL? Thanks a lot. Sure. Well, I mean, it wasn't just one play with Bosa, but for me, it was my first chance getting to see him live and in person was against USC in the Cotton Bowl. And uh, he just completely, you know, dominated the game. He took over the game early. Um, I, I don't think Sam Darnold ever really recovered from, from as many times as he was getting to him early in that game. Uh, but there's there's plays this year. I did not write down the game in my uh, as I have a look at my notes here. But there's there are a handful of plays where he's triple teamed, and uh, he'll crawl to the quarterback like he just finds a way to get it done. Um, but he's uh, you know look if if you want somebody that can win early with speed, he can overpower you. He's outstanding with his hands. Um, the effort is is off the charts. I mean those are all in my time doing it. Those are all key key ingredients to uh, to an elite pass rusher. He has all that stuff. So. Um, I think he's going to be outstanding, uh, and there's, uh, you know, it's just a matter of him staying healthy. That's the obvious concern, but uh, everything I hear is that teams are okay with that. So uh, he's going to be a great pro. And, and uh, BBK Ben Burkhaven, uh the size, he's six foot two thirty. In today's game, the way it's played, plenty big enough uh, at linebacker. You've got to be able to run. You got to be able to cover, and it's nice if you can use you to blitz. Hardly any of these guys are built to bang and take on blocks like the old, uh, you know, 15-year-ago linebacker. That's just – it's not uh, its not as important. you got to be able to cover guys. you got to be able to cover these running backs and tight ends, and you have to be able to run. So with him, I see somebody that's instinctive, um, somebody that's got tremendous range and, uh, and can help in coverage. Now, he's going to get swallowed up at times in the run game, um, but teams – are more than willing to live with some of that because if you if you can't run, you'll get isolated in the pass game and it's going to be a long day. Uh, so I have him. I think he's going to go in the uh, in the fourth round. Is, is about where I have him going. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Mark Cabelli of Athletic Pittsburgh. Your line is now open. Hey Daniel, uh, my question is: in your experience talking to some decision makers, how much of a dive do organizations do into a potential draft pick's social media accounts? And have you ever heard of a team taking somebody off the board because a pattern they found was sort of questionable? Uh, every team in the league has uh, has somebody that's combing through that. And they, what they've done is they've gotten smarter. And instead of running these uh, these checks, you know, at this point in time in the process, they're identifying these guys as prospects, as young players, as freshmen um, and sophomores, and they're beginning to collect all that information and run all those those reports on their social media, you know, years before they're even draft eligible. Uh, most of the smart teams are, are doing that. Everybody is digging into it, and I've been on a team. You know, I, my last year in scouting was 2012, um, but even during that time, and obviously social media has exploded since then, but even during that time, we had uh, – I can remember one specific player. I won't say who he was, but had lots of lots of guns in his uh, in his social media stuff. And it was like, you know what, we're just – we're not going to mess with him. Um, and we took him completely off of our board. Now, he had some other character stuff that, that concerned us, but that was kind of the last straw was like, nah, that's not, that's not our guy. So I guarantee you every year all 32 teams 
um, somebody uh, on their board will be removed because of something that's taking place in their social media. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Mike K of NJ.com. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel, thanks for doing this. Um, from a pass rushing perspective, it seems like there's not going to be a lot of guys that last third of the first round. But do you think there's an opportunity for the Eagles to kind of target a guy that might be a versatile guy that can play defensive tackle and defensive end in that range? Yeah, in uh, in terms of the back end of the first round. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, look, there's um, there, there's you're going to find different guys. I mean, that somebody that can play inside and outside. I, I look at at somebody um, that's primarily going to be playing inside. A guy like Jerry Tillery kind of falls in that. He falls in that range of somebody that can get to the quarterback. Um, he would just do it from uh, from an inside alignment. Um, you know, you can look at guys, and you know, we're looking at, at pure pass rushers. But an interesting, uh, an interesting name is is a guy like Dexter Lawrence. You know, where where does he fill in? And yeah, you know, he doesn't rush the passer. Um, he hasn't had an opportunity to rush the passer that much. But when you've got edge pressure and you've got somebody on the inside that can create some pocket push, um, there's some value for somebody like that who can have an impact as a pass rusher without necessarily, um, you know, winning with quickness or, or or getting it done himself. He can impact it uh, in that regard. They'll have an interesting decision to make if uh, if Jeffrey Simmons were to somehow fall down there, who I think can move up and down the line of scrimmage. Uh, but again, you've got to uh, you got to wait out the injury coming off the ACL and uh, and see where he is at that point in time. But the you know the pure edge guys, you know I I think it's too early uh, for a guy like Jalen Ferguson at that point in time. Uh, I think it's too early for somebody like L.J. Collier. Um, those are the type of guys you know Chase Winovich would be that would you know the conversation could start there i think he probably is more of a trade back scenario but um i hear what you're saying they're in a little bit of no man's land if you're just looking for a pure edge rusher in the in the bottom of the first thank you our next question is coming from matt wenzel of m live media group your line is now open Hey, Daniel, I was wondering what you thought maybe the earliest and latest Justin Lane will come off the board and draft prospects where you have uh, the other Michigan State guys, L.J. Scott, uh, Kari Willis, and Phil Davis. Sure. Um, let's start first um, with the corner. Um, I thought second round, there was, uh, you know, there's somebody who's a former wide receiver who's got tremendous ball skills. Um, look, there's always teams looking for size, size speed corners. Uh, but I would say right now you're probably looking more in the third round range is uh, is his sweet spot. I don't think he would get out of the fourth round. I think that's uh, right about where he finds himself. He's got real good ball skills. You know, he ran fast enough at four or five flat. Um, that's where I think he goes. L.J. Scott, um, I, I, I don't think he'll get picked. Um, I have him uh, as kind of a, a seventh round priority free agent type. There's just too many other running backs. Uh, that have kind of pushed him down the board. So, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, just there's not a lot to go off of here recently when you study him. So um, that that kind of that kind of dings him and didn't run as as well as you want there. So he's an interesting case study. If he does get picked, I'll, I'll be a little bit surprised. I think he ends up being a uh, a priority free agent. You got to uh, remind me again on who the other two are, just so I can uh, find them here on my list. No problem, Kari Willis. Safety and then uh, Felton Davis, wide receiver. Sure. Um, Kari Willis, when I go back and, and look at my notes on him, 
Um, I have him in that six-round range. Um, I just thought he was uh, somebody that needed to be down in the box. Um, he ran faster than I thought he would in the in the low four fives. Um, but to me, I, I kind of have him in that. I, I would say the fifth, sixth round range um, is where I would have him. So we'll, we'll see what happens. It's a pretty good group. Um, there's good depth there uh, at that position. So I think that could end up hurting him a little bit. Um, and then when we get to the wide receiver, scrolling down here, where did I have him? Um, I have Felton Davis. I have him as a, as a late round guy. I have him in the seventh round. So slot, big frame. I just thought he struggled against press. Um, and obviously you've got the, uh, the Achilles. So coming off of that, I had him as, as probably a seventh round or a priority free agent. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from David Johnson of 24-7 Sports. Your line is now open. Hi, Daniel. Uh, I wanted to ask you about three Ole Miss players, uh, D.K. Metcalf, A.J. Brown, Greg Little, maybe the earliest and latest you see them going and what your concerns are with each of them. Sure. Uh, you know, Metcalf, I feel like I'm a little bit of a, of a Metcalf defender. I think he's been a, a popular target for people to go after and say, you know, hey, well, I can't do this. There's three cone and this, that, and the other, and the production wasn't there. Look, the guy got hurt. Uh, you know, he missed time. He's he's obviously the height, weight, speed. Everybody saw that at the combine. But he's made plays. When he's been healthy and on the field, he's made plays. He's a pure vertical threat. He's going to be an ex-wide receiver um, who's going to be a big target. I, I, You know, I couldn't find the exact home for him in my last mock draft. I do believe he'll go in the first round. Um, it's just a matter of finding that team and who that is. You know, I, I wouldn't sleep on the, a team like the Baltimore Ravens would make some sense. Um, who knows what the Packers will do. Uh, I, I think those those teams uh, make some sense for him. I do think he ultimately ends up going in the first round. Um, A.J., I think, is probably going to go early second round. I think we'll see a run on those wide receivers. Um, somebody looking for, uh, for a, a real sturdy, firm slot receiver. I know he's played outside, but I think he ends up uh, playing inside. Um, somebody that you, you wish was just a little bit taller. Um, but the toughness is there. Work in the middle of the field and the run after the catch is what you love. I think, uh, you know, to me, though, he's, he's got to play inside. So if you're looking at, at something to knock him on, I, I don't see him as an outside as an outside guy. Little teams are all over the map on him. Um, I, I like him. I like him in that, in that you know, middle, middle to late second round range. But I would not be shocked in the least if we had a run on tackles and, you know, you start hearing his name, you know, potentially a, a team like Houston. Um, if the, all those tackles are gone, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if he snuck into the first round, and that would be the spot that I would look at him for. Uh, if not, you know, he, he will not get out of the second round. Um, he's somebody that's just, you know, there's, there's a lot to work with there. He's got some flaws. His hands can get a little bit wide at times. He's not always square. Um, there's a little bit of stiffness. But you've got you've got size. You've got somebody that can move people. Um, he's got a real good anchor in pass protection, which you love, and he's pretty good in the pull game. Um, so there's things to like about him. I like him in that second round range, and I think ultimately that's most likely where he goes. But I would not be shocked if uh, if somehow he snuck into the first. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Ryan Dunleavy of NJ.com. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel, I wanted to ask you about Dwayne Haskins. Uh, just, 
your big picture scouting report on Dwayne, and then obviously right now there's all these. Some people have him going as high as six. I think you have him 11. Some people have him falling all the way to the end of the first round. What are these red flags we keep hearing about? Are they uh, skill-wise, or is this something in his background? What do you think is causing his stock to be all over the place? Well, I think it's pretty simple. I mean, it's it's just really two things. And it's, you know, the one-year starter deal is the same thing that Kyler Murray, you know, gets hit on. Um, but we have, obviously, the, the landing spot for Kyler Murray with Arizona. Um, when you look at, uh, at what you have with Dwayne, the one-year thing is one part of it. The other part of it is is uh, it's just the, the mobility concerns. You know, is he going to be able to create time? Is he going to be able to, to move around and get away from pressure which nine times out of ten, if you're getting picked in the top ten, you're on a team that's not great up front, and you're going to have to be able to protect yourself and get away from some pressure. And that's the uh, that's the concern with him. You know, sometimes I see him when I study him that the eyes are quick. I mean, he's moving his eyes through progression. And he's getting there with his eyes, but sometimes his feet are a little bit late to catch up. Um, but, you know, what I like about him, he's, uh, he's, he's a firm, sturdy guy. I think he'll be able to hold up physically, uh, the way he's built. He can drive the ball. He can layer the ball. Um, you look at the, the progression of him from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, I mean, it's a clear trend line that he's going in the right direction. And I, I would even add on to that the pro day, which was outstanding. Uh, he moved around a little bit better in that pro day than, than I anticipated. Um, so that helps him. It's just a matter of finding a home for him. Um, he has, of all the quarterbacks, you know, you talk to teams, he's in the mix with all these teams. Some teams are, you know, really like Daniel Jones, or some teams really like Drew Locke, but they, you know, they aren't as high on, on the other one. But when you talk about the discussion, I think Dwayne is the the number one or number two guy with the most teams. It's just you don't know if he's going to be the number two guy for all of them, and then that could cause him to slide. Uh, but when I look at landing spot six, I would not rule out Denver. Uh, I would not rule out Cincinnati. And uh, and just lately, believe what you want to believe, but there's a lot of chatter talking to people around the league that Washington is uh, is, is high on Haskins. So um, I, I don't think when it's all said and done, he gets out of the top 15. I know there's all this talk about uh, could he fall and, and how far could he fall. I, I just don't see that happening. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Daryl Slater of Newark Star Ledger. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel, as you look at the Jets' option, is at number three. I noticed you had Ed Oliver going to them there in your latest mock draft and had them passing on Josh Allen and Quinn and Williams. So if you could just weigh their those their options there, presuming those all three guys are available there, those three guys and Bosa's gone, how would you kind of break it down? Yeah, I mean, I think they're in a pretty good spot. Uh, you know, if, if the question is what would I do, I would take Quinn and Williams and I wouldn't turn back. I, I would pair – uh, Quentin Williams um, with Leonard Williams, and I think you'd be you'd be not only uh, got guys that can can rush a little bit, you got guys that can hold the point of attack, and in a division with the Patriots team that's become increasingly interested in running the football, um, you, you've got something to hold up inside. I think he'd be a great fit. I ended up just kind of switching it up and putting Ed Oliver in there, um, just making the connection between Greg Williams, um, having coached Aaron Donald, and envisioning a role. Uh, for somebody like Ed to be able to really penetrate and get upfield and kind of be the, you know, more of the Robin uh, type of a player to, to Batman there with, with Leonard Williams. Just a different skill set, give you a little something different. Um, so that's what his strength would be. 
And then, you know, if, you, if you're looking at the edge on the outside, Bosa's gone. Um, Josh Allen is, is next in line. Uh, I think he's uh, I think he's outstanding as a rusher. He gives you that added benefit of being able to drop and cover. Um, I, I just think who impacts the game the most out of all those guys? I would still I would still stick with Quinn because I think he impacts the impacts the game on every single down. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Jim McBride of Boston Globe. Your line is now open. Uh, hi, Daniel. Thanks for uh, for doing this today. I'm wondering if you think that uh, Bryce Love might be a, have a chance to be the sleeper in this draft, given uh, coming off the injury and uh, you know going back to that. Yeah, you know it, he's interesting because you just don't hear anything about him. It, it's almost a little bit of out of sight, out of mind uh, after the injury he's had. I know we'll have Coach Shaw on our uh, on our draft coverage. I'm looking forward to catching up with Coach, and and he is a he is a big fan of Bryce, and you go back and look at the production the year before, what he did when he was healthy, um, there's, a, there's a lot to like there. And he's got uh, big-time, big-time speed. All, all indications are he'll come back uh, fully healthy from this ACL. He should be fine. The, the little bit of a concern was just he wasn't used much out of the backfield in the past game. You know, that's kind of the, the – uh, you know, you look at Christian McCaffrey, the production he had in the passing game in that offense, you just didn't see the same, uh, the same thing from Bryce. So – you're lacking a little bit in size, and you don't know exactly what you're going to get from him in the passing game. That's what kind of dings the value a little bit, you know, as, as well as the injury. So um, I, I think he's got somebody if he can continue to work and improve in that area and he returns to health, um, you, you might end up getting a real steal. In, in terms of where he goes, um, people around the league, I think you, you hear more kind of in that uh, that fifth round type range is, is where he could land himself, which would make him a definite sleeper if he returned to form. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Anthony Wood of Texans Wire. Your line is now open. Hi, Daniel. Thanks very much for doing this. Um, quick question on Montez Swells. He's worked out recently with Texans. What do you think this means with regards to the situation with Clowney, and how do you think Sweat would fit in in Clowney's uh, position? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I have definitely different style players. They're both, you know, athletically, you know, just freakish. Um, but Clowney's got just a different level of power um, and twitch. You know, you, we've obviously seen the clips of, of, of Clowney just run right through offensive tackles. That's not Montez Sweat's game. He's a little more finesse. Um, he's going to be able to, you know, try and get to the edge and bend and wrap a little bit more than Clowney. Uh, Clowney is a more violent, violent football player. Um, so I, I, you know, if you look at him coming out, I thought Clowney was a was a superior player coming out of college. Um, if you look at the, uh, you know, what this Houston Texans team can do, I'll be shocked, and uh, who knows, who's prepared to be shocked, but I'll be shocked if it's not an offensive lineman or a corner uh, in the first round. Those to me just seem like the two areas of focus for this team uh, going forward. And uh, you know, I, I would expect that in the first round it would be uh, one of those two positions and. To get a guy like Montez Sweat, you're going to have to go up. And um, I, I know they have a couple uh, a couple twos, but I can't see them being that aggressive to go up for a pass rusher with some of the other holes they have. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Tom Krasovic of Union Tribune, San Diego. Your line is now open. Excuse me, Tom Krasovic, can I check on your mute function, please? Hi, Daniel. The AFC West, uh, care to make a, a pick for those teams and thoughts on where the SDSU uh, tight end may end up? 
Sure. Uh, good to hear from you, Tom. Uh, you know, look, it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the AFC West. When you look at, at what the Mayock's done and the Raiders have done in the off season, and adding some firepower there, and you kind of look at the division as a whole, and now you see a division with with Antonio Brown, with Tyree Kill. Um, we obviously Sammy Watkins. You see, you know, Cortland Sutton, who's got a chance to be a, a rising star. Uh, in the league, who brings a lot of size? The Chargers with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. There is a there is a lot of talent at the wide receiver position. When I don't think it's a mystery that those teams in the division looking for secondary help. Um, so trying to find guys in the secondary that can come in and play and compete right away. I think you might see that theme emerge from the uh, from the AFC West. Um, you know, the Raiders will have three cracks at it. I don't think there's anybody in the secondary worth taking in the top. Uh, of the draft, I, I think that ends up being a, uh, a pass rusher. You know whether or not that's that's Ed Oliver or Quentin Williams. Those would be my two guesses. And then you get to the twenties, I could see a uh, you know a little bit of a mix there. It could be a uh, could be a running back, uh, could be a receiver. You know I think maybe you get a chance to get an offensive player with one of those picks. But I'll be surprised if one of those picks in the twenties is not somebody in the secondary that can come in and and play right away. Um, then you get to Kansas City. You know, I, I think that that just looks like corner to me. Um, you could see, uh, you know, Byron Murphy, Agree Williams, somebody like that. Uh, the Chargers, um, safety um, is an opportunity there. They could look at it a pure free safety, um, and they could also go look at the corner position as well. I think I had them taking Rocky Sin from Temple, um, who is somebody that that has the toughness that Gus likes to go along with uh, with some ball skills. And then Denver, I guess I uh, skipped over Denver. Um, to me, I know they've done a lot of homework on quarterbacks, but I just can't see them taking a quarterback when they haven't even seen Joe Flacco take a snap in this offense. Um, so I would imagine they try and get somebody that can help him out there. Um, you can look along the uh, the offensive line, and I would not sleep on uh, Hawkinson. If Hawkinson were to get there to Denver, um, that, that wouldn't surprise me at all because he'll help their run game as well as their passing game. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Alex Byington of Montgomery Advertiser. Your line is now open. Excuse me, Alex Byington. Kind of check on your mute function, please. Yes. Uh, Daniel, hey, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, just want to ask you about um, a couple of Alabama guys like uh, Christian Miller, um, Isaiah Bugs. Just where, where do you see them kind of fitting in and, and – as pass rushers, and, and where could they kind of go next level? Yeah, I mean, you start with bugs. Um, like, you're always trying to find some interior pressure. I haven't been able to get as uh, – a little bit surprised I haven't been as much love uh, for him around the league as I thought there might be uh, in talking to guys. Um, but he's somebody that can move around up and down the line of scrimmage. He's got some power. He's got a pretty good get-off. Um, the effort was a little bit inconsistent. I didn't love that, but uh, – I had him kind of in that uh, fourth round range, and and all the teams I've talked to when his names come up, I've got that he, he's more than likely to be uh, to go after that. So I think you're probably talking fifth uh, or sixth round pick on him. Miller does have some love around the league. I like him too. I, I think he's a good player when he's been healthy. Um, he really had an impact on that group on that front. Um, again, I, I have him kind of in that fourth round range. Maybe he could sneak into the third, but. I would say kind of third to fifth is where you see him. Uh, a lot of push-pull uh, pressure there, really good with his hands, uh, really strong at the point of attack. 
He's, uh, you know, for teams, the three, four teams, you know, asking him to drop, he's, he's a little bit stiff there. That's going to be a, an effort for him. Uh, but he's uh, he's got some pass rush potential, and that's why I think you'll see him in the middle rounds. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Mike Barber of Richmond Times Dispatch. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. I wanted to ask you about two University of Virginia defensive backs. Uh, Juan Thornhill, what's the outlook for him? Uh, what position particularly also do you project him at? And Tim Harris, uh, what's the projection for him, and, and how do his injuries factor into the outlook? Sure. Uh, Thornhill, is uh, he's a player that I really like. I mean, he's somebody that – you know, he can play safety, he can play corner. I like him as a pure free safety. I think that's his best spot. Um, I know he can uh, he can drop down and cover if you want him to, but I just love his range. In, in a draft where, you you know, we've got a lot of guys that can play down low and can be forced players, uh, but he's somebody, I, I just like his ability to play in the middle of the field, to range around and uh, and make a bunch of plays that way and that's what uh what gets me excited about him now the concern is you're going to have to live with some flyby missed tackles um that's going to be part of it and and some teams that's why they just say we're going to put him at corner they have concerns about him in the run game they feel like they can eliminate some of that uh with him playing corner so um i just for me personally i'm i think pure free safeties are hard to find right now they can play over the top and that's where i would put him uh with tim harris I mean, the height, weight, speed is phenomenal. Um, you watch him against, uh, you know, Virginia Tech. You can see his kind of instincts and zone. I just thought he was raw, uh, a little bit stiff. I thought he was a developmental project. So I put him in the, uh, you know, to me, he was in the, at the end of the draft, sixth, seventh round, uh, height, weight, speed corner, uh, with, a, with a lot of work to do in, in man especially. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Marcel Lewis-Jack of Charlotte Observer. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel, thank you for uh, thank you for your time. Um, a lot of people think that teams need a big-bodied wide receiver, uh, especially in the red zone, that help out with the jump balls. But um, after speaking with Ron Rivera and Marty Hurdy yesterday, they said separation is more important than height necessary. So, uh as far as receivers in this draft, who has shown an ability to to separate that might be available in the mid to late rounds? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think, look, I, I still think there's a place for size when you get down in the tight red zone. Um, you know, we, we can see, you'll see a lot of pick plays, and you want, to play, you want to play man coverage down there, you'll see a lot of those rub routes, and you can you can escape and do some of those things. But I, I, always, I always go back to the theory of trying to get uh, you know, a basketball team. I, I want some of everything. I don't want to trot out a team with a bunch of little guys, and I don't want to try to team out there of all power forwards. I want to have a uh, a mix of size and, and skill set. But, you know, I, I do get um, the thought on, on separation. To me, that's more important when you're in the uh, – when you're between the 20s. I think that size does play uh, once you get down there uh, in the red zone. In terms of being able to really separate, in the, you know, we can kind of go through a couple rounds here. Um, obviously, in the first round, if you want separation, Hollywood Brown is uh, <laughs> he's your guy uh, for doing that. Uh, Miko Hardman from Georgia, he creates a ton of separation. Um, some guys do it with speed. Some guys do it with route running. Uh, I really like Ridley from Georgia. I know he didn't test well. I know he doesn't have a ton of production, but that dude knows how to run routes, and he generates separation. 
Um, talking to people around the league, he's probably going to end up going in the third round uh, when it's all said and done, which I think is a uh, which is a tremendous uh, bargain for me. Uh, but he's somebody that can definitely create some separation. As you go uh, kind of through the rounds here, a guy like Travis Fulgham from Old Dominion is another one who you know ran four five eight, but he creates separation. He gets away from people. He's a really good route runner. Um, Emmanuel Hall from Missouri is probably you know top three vertical receiver in this draft, and uh, he runs away from everybody. He, he definitely um, can create some separation. And then if you want to go late, you know really late is. Uh, Somebody in the slot that can uh, that can create some separation. You just watch Penny Hart from Georgia State at the Senior Bowl uh, in the job he did of, of creating separation. He's just a, a really good player. Doesn't wow you with height, weight, or speed, uh, but he knows how to get away from people and create some room. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Lehman Pope of Chicago Tribune. Your line is now open. Hello, Daniel. I wanted to ask about a couple of Notre Dame players and uh, cornerback Julian Love and wide receiver Miles Boykin. Uh, what's the latest buzz on it and some possible fits for both? Sure. Uh, I'll start with Boykin. Um, there is a lot of love around the league for Miles Boykin, uh, so much so that I, I anticipate he's going to go in the second round. Um, he's just uh, – he came on strong this year. He's big. He's physical. He ran really well. Um He's somebody that tracks the ball extremely well. He's got strong hands. You know, the drops that he does have are more concentration drops, but he can he can catch in a crowd. He's played inside and outside. Um, you know, for a, a classic kind of a true X wide receiver, that's what uh, that's what he is. And worst case scenario is the third round, but I I think there's enough heat on him that he's going to go in the second round uh, when it's all said and done. And uh, Love is one of my personal favorites. Um, I personally, I would, I would take him in the second round if you need a nickel. I think he's a day one starting nickel. Um, I think more than likely because of, uh, you know, the lack of speed, he'll get pushed into the third round. But having done the Charger games last year and seeing Desmond King and the role he played and how valuable he was to that team, uh, Julian Love is a Desmond King clone, in my opinion. And I think you play him inside. You don't leave him hung out to dry on the outside. I think that speed would show up. But his toughness and playmaking ability uh, is, is ideal as a day one starting nickel for me. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Dylan Montz of Ames Tribune. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. I just wanted to ask you about the, the few guys from Iowa State and David Montgomery and Hakeem Butler. When when you look at them and, and kind of their different skill sets at running back and wide receiver, what kinds of offenses or, or you know, schemes do you see them really succeeding in once they get to the next level? Sure. Um, you know, Montgomery is one of my favorites. Um, you know, I, I'm going to be really fascinated to see where he goes because, you know, you got – Four six three forty out there, which is is okay. It's not great, but man, this guy is so instinctive. You know, the patience he has, um, the vision he can make you miss. He's just not going to blow the doors off you with his with his speed. But I, I think he is built to run at the next level. You know, in terms of offenses, he could fit. I think he fits any of them. Um, he can run inside. Um, he's he's a good zone runner. He's got the the vision and the feel for that. Um, he's decisive, so uh, I think he fits anything. I just think if you're, you know, if you if you're looking for some elect electricity and just 
big time, big time top end speed, if that's your flavor, uh, which I think is a little overrated at that position, then then maybe he's not your guy. But I could I could definitely translate him uh, to anybody. Uh, when you look at Butler, he's one of the more difficult ones for me. Um, I really I, I see what he does. I watched him more last night. I, I've continually just keep coming back and watching more because he's um, there's a lot of things I like. Six uh, five plus, he's almost 230 pounds. He, he ran much faster than I anticipated in the four fours. Um, I just when I watched him, I said, okay, he's a little bit of a plotting long strider uh, type. He's got a lot of drop passes, which concern me. Um, but then you see some of the circus catches. I love the competitiveness that he has after the catch. He just refuses to be tackled, um, so he's great in that regard. Um, you know, he's he's one that, that people are all over the place. Some teams don't really care for him. Other teams think he's, he's worth a first-round pick. I think he ends up going in the second round. I think a team just has to have a role and a plan for him. And, uh, and you're going to have to be able to live with some of the drops because that's that's going to happen. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, he, he's he's got a really good shot of being a top 40 pick. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, as a reminder, participants, if you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one on your phone and record your name clearly when prompted. To cancel your request, press star followed by the number two. Our next question is coming from Ray Fittipaldo of Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Your line is now open. Daniel, from your time in the NFL, I was wondering, how did your teams evaluate draft classes four or five years after the fact, um, you know, how many guys were expected to be signed to second contracts? You know, what's expected of a first-round pick, second-round pick, so on? Yeah, I mean, it really is pretty simple, um, however many picks you have. The goal, you know, kind of look at a good draft is if you've got three starters from a draft class, and I don't care where they come, you know, first round, seventh round, whatever, um, but you like to come away with the, with three starters. Anything north of that was, you know, was gravy. And uh, you kind of look at some of the teams that have been on runs. Um, I go back, kind of look at that Seattle team. You have, a, you know, you put together a couple drafts where you you get four starters, you know, back to back years. I mean, you've transformed your team. Like that is a um, that's a franchise changing uh, scenario if you can find four in, in a couple drafts. You, you look at the New Orleans Saints and the recent resurgence they've had and the run they've been on. You can trace it back to having, you know, a draft where you hit on, you know, four not only just four starters, but four, you know, upper echelon guys. So three is three is kind of the target, and uh, and you get more than that, you've got something special. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Charlie Potter of Twenty Four Seven Sports. Your line is now open. Uh, hey, Daniel. Just uh, in your first mock draft back in January, you had Josh Jacobs going number five to the Bucks. Now he's he's not among your top 32 picks. What's the reason for that, or is it just overlooking something? No, no. Uh, good question. I'm glad you asked that because I, I think a lot of people wonder about that. Early on in the process, I go off of, you know, look, th- these teams haven't assembled yet. You don't know where, what, where they have players um, you know, we still have also, you know, see what happens in free agency. There's so much that changes. So on an early mock draft, a lot of times, if I don't have any intel, I just go, hey, this is, you know, a player I'm high on. And I've been a, uh, I've been a Josh Jacobs guy from the jump. He's still in my top ten overall players, how I rank him. 
Um, but as you go deeper into mock drafts, you start hearing things. You start talking to people with teams. You start talking to people who know people. Um, you fo- follow who's spending time with players. You just get more information. And the way I try to explain it is, for the most part, I try and do my mock drafts with my ears based off what I'm hearing. And, uh, and I do my top 50 list off my eyes, what I think of a player. Um, so I personally think uh, Josh Jacobs is one of the 10 best football players in this draft. And I can say that while also saying I don't believe he's going to go in the top 10. I think he's likely to go in the 20s or the 30s uh, when it's all said and done. Uh, but that's why when I look at that team, Ronald Jones being a big disappointment and still having a need at that spot, I thought, man, this guy's plug and play, and uh, he'd be a great fit for that football team. But as we you know, go through the process, you realize, okay, what I'm hearing does not match up with them taking him at that point in time. Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from John McGonigal of Center Daily Times. Your line is now open. Hi, Daniel. Thanks for doing this. Um, how high do you think Miles Sanders can go? What team or teams would be an ideal fit for him? And I guess how impressed or surprised were you with him at the combine? Yeah, he's just done a really good job. I mean, I, I would even just, just start with what he did in the fall, you know, having to wait his turn and then to uh, to play like he did and then deliver in the, in the postseason the way he has. I mean, he's just, he hasn't really had a misstep uh, once he got his chance. And um, you like to see that from him in terms of how high he could go. I would say it's unlikely uh, that he goes in the, in the uh, bottom of the first round. It wouldn't totally shock me. You know, the, a team like the Rams, I mean, that, that might surprise some people considering who they have and Todd Gurley, but they've done a lot of homework on running backs. Uh, maybe that's a scenario where they, you know, trade back if, if they looked at that position. Uh, but I'd say there's a you know slim chance he could go bottom one, but I do think he's a, he's a lock to go in the second round, and I would anticipate he's somebody that goes in the you know in the top forty to fifty picks. I think you'll see him go in the first part uh, of the second round, so he won't have to wait too long. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Eric Williams of ESPN. Your line is now open. Hey, DJ, thanks for taking my call. I uh, just wanted to add on to what Kraft had asked you earlier, specifically, though, with the Chargers. Uh, I know you had the, the cornerback from Temple uh, going to them in your last draft, but also wanted to, to know what you thought about defensive tackle prospects, kind of what the guy from Philadelphia asked you late in the first round. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think there are some intriguing uh, defensive tackles, you know, late in the first round. Um I just go back and, and Eric just just watching uh, you know the team in in some big games. I thought, yeah, man, they can use another body, another guy at corner um, would be a big help. And unfortunately, Jason Barrett just couldn't stay healthy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Michael Davis has some intriguing skills, but I think they they look to upgrade that position pretty early on in this draft. And I think that the sweet spot of the draft for corners is kind of where they're located. I mean, that's um, that's where I think you'll see that run take place. Um, but, you know, trying to get a defensive tackle, um, man, it, you know, I, one guy I would keep an eye on just because I, I love his game and I think he would be such a great fit with the Chargers. If somehow Christian Wilkins started to drift a little bit, um, uh, that would be somebody I would keep my eye on. I would target him if I were the Chargers. I just think he'd be a fantastic fit. Uh, I do not think uh, he ends up being there. Um, Dexter Lawrence, I don't think that's really their style. Um, I think you look for more of a penetrator. I think you'd be more likely to see somebody 
you know, like a Jerry Tillery at that point in time, that would make more sense. And, you know, it's a little bit early um, for, for uh, uh, Ohio State's Draymond Jones, but I think he's somebody, you know, in a trade-back scenario in, in the second round, uh, that's somebody that fits what they do who can, uh, who can penetrate and get upfield a little bit. Thanks, TJ. Sure. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Karen Copeland of the Washington Post. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for uh, taking the time out. Um, quick question, looking at the Redskins, um, obviously it seems like everybody's kind of focused on quarterback uh, or edge rusher with that number 15, but they've got a lot of holes. How do you kind of see them approaching, you know, their first three rounds as far as trying to come away with a package, guys? Yeah, I mean, I think you could look in a couple different directions. We'll see what happens. You know, we, we're kind of on a holding pattern with the until the – the Cardinals figure out what they're doing in the Josh Rosen situation, because I do think the Redskins make a lot of sense there. Um, but let's assume that doesn't happen. Um, I, I think they would go quarterback in the first round if that were the case. Um, if they did not get Rosen, I think it'd be more than likely that that's where they go. They have done so much work on this group. Um, and you hear all different guys tied to them. I mentioned a little earlier that Haskins is kind of the latest that I hear there. Um, but I think you come away with a combination of a quarterback, uh, an offensive lineman, and they've done a lot of work on the tackles in this group. Um, that would not shock me. And, uh, you know, I think wide receiver as well, if they're looking on the offensive side of the ball, I could see them um, adding somebody at, at those three spots, you know, kind of looking at the combination of, uh, of players. And I, I would also say, you know, you go over the defensive side of the ball, uh, addressing that secondary uh, would be another place I would look. Everybody is kind of zeroed in on the edge rusher. We'll see uh, – you know, we'll, we'll see what they end up doing there. I actually tend to think they might be more offensive-leaning uh, in this draft. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Jeffries Rebeck of The Athletic. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. Um, for all the, you know, the success the Ravens have had in the draft over the years, and obviously you were a part of it, the it's been highly scrutinized their ability to, you know, draft and develop wide receivers. Do you have a, a theory on or a reasoning why they've struggled so much at that position in terms of drafting and uh, knowing Eric DeCosta the way you do? Uh, do you think that's kind of sticking with him and that's something he's going to want to rectify this year? Huh. Yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, there's um, there's – Tough to I can't I can't tell you why it hasn't worked out for the most part. I mean, there have been some some hits. I mean, Tory Tory Smith did, did a nice job. Um, there's been some players that have come in and and, uh, and played well. But for the first rounders, and I was there for for Mark Clayton and uh, had a little bit of success earlier than that. Just didn't happen. I don't know. I, I haven't been able to put my finger on why it, why it hasn't worked out. I, I I know I've been in there. How smart everybody is in that in that group. I think it's. Um, one of the elite scouting staffs in the NFL, and Eric's been running that department for a long time. Um, it just every every team just kind of has one little area or one position that gives them a little bit of trouble, and that seems to be it. Um, one thing I, I know about Eric is Eric is extremely competitive, um, and you know why I think maybe a lot of people would say it's his first draft. Um, you know, maybe stay away from a position that's given uh, you know them a little bit of trouble. Uh, I could see Eric saying, you know what, let's go ahead and exercise this demon. Let's go get a stud at that position and, uh, and put, that, put that to bed. Um, but I, I think when it's all said and done, they end up trading back 
and uh, after they traded back, I would not be shocked if their first pick was a wide receiver. Uh, I'd just be shocked if their first pick is at 22. Knowing the value they place on, on second-round picks to not have one right now uh, due to the Lamar Jackson trade, I'd be surprised if they don't find a way, if Eric doesn't find a way to recoup that by sliding back. And then and then maybe you're looking at, at taking a guy like a Paris Campbell who can come in and, and, uh, and give you some big-time speed and juice to go with a – uh, a really unique offense they're putting together there. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Ben Gosling of Minneapolis Tard Tribune. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel, if the Vikings were to wait on an offensive lineman and take one after the first round, I, how long could they wait, given the depth in this draft, and find a guy that could come in and start for them fairly quickly? Well, I think if you're looking for a starter on the offensive line, I think you're probably going to want to address that in the first three rounds. Um, I, I think there's a, you know, there's a situation where, you know, they pick, what, 18, 50, and 81, their first three picks. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they doubled down. Whether or not it's their first pick, um, I, I don't know, but I could definitely see them um, using two of those picks on offensive linemen. And I think you get into that third round, you can find a guy – you know, you can find a Nate Davis from UNC Charlotte or a, uh, or a Michael Dieter from Wisconsin or a Drew Samia from Oklahoma. You know, interior players, I think, could come in and play right away um, and help that football team. So I think you'll see all those top, those top centers and guards. Those guys are uh, uh, going to go in the second round. So if you want one of those, you have to probably address that at that point in time. And then when you get into the tackle position, if you want to take a tackle outside the first two rounds, for the most part, um, you get into the developmental side of things. And, um, and that's when, to me, I'd rather just wait a little bit and uh, take a guy like a Trey Pipkins, you know, from Sioux Falls. You take him in the in the fourth or fifth round, um, or they don't have a five, so I guess it would have to be their fourth round. Uh, that'd be somebody maybe you take a shot on, but I don't think he'd be ready to play right away. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Martin Frank of Delaware News Journal. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. Um, I, I was wondering about, like, a lot of teams talk about, like, the evolution of the safety position and, you know, how they're looking for guys who can pretty much do everything back there. And, you know, with that in mind, um, I was wondering about two guys in particular in, in Nasir Adderley and Darnell Savage and how they fit that mold. And also, if you can comment on the draft prospects of David Sills, um, where you see him going, what you think of his, you know, NFL future, that type of thing. Thanks. Sure. I'll work backwards. Uh, David Sills, I think he's going to be a late-round pick. Um, I think he's, he's got some ability. He's got some talent. Obviously, a fascinating story with him, you know, making the transition from wide or from uh, quarterback to wide receiver. But there's just so many wideouts um, in this draft. I think he probably finds himself in that sixth, seventh round range. Um, I do like the fact he can play inside, he can play outside, and he does a nice job down in the red area. Um, but that's where I think his value is right now, probably talking sixth, seventh round. Now, Savage is – I'm glad you brought him up because there's no player uh, that's got more steam and momentum right now in this draft than Dottrell Savage. Uh, teams love him. Uh, love him to the point where I would not be surprised if he found his way into the first round. Now, the only thing he's lacking is just kind of that ideal size, a little bit undersized, but he, he ran 4-3. He plays to that 4-3. 
Um, I've done more work on him, and I'll, I'll have to do my last update here. Uh, I think that will come out next week. He'll be in my top 50. Um, I haven't watched a little bit more, and, and you get a chance to see him, uh, the things he can do, lining up all over the field, that versatility you're talking about. The you know, Ohio State game is fantastic. Um, I, I would say absolutely he's a top 40 pick, um, and I think he's got a real chance to sneak into the to the, uh, to the first round when it's all said and done. Teams love Darnell Savage. Um, Adderley, um, I'm a big Adderley fan. I think he's taken on a little bit of water in the uh, in the postseason, just being nicked up. Um, didn't get a chance to run as fast as he would have hoped running in the four sixes. Um, I have him uh, in the second round range. I think there's a chance he might uh, you know he might slip into the third round. But I value him there in the second, and uh, I love his competitiveness, his toughness. Um, I like him as a free safety. Some teams like him as a nickel. So it's going to depend on who picks him, how his role uh, evolves and develops. But I think he's a darn good football player. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Riley Gates of GoPowerCat.com and 24-7 Sports. Your line is now open. Yeah, I just wanted to to get your thoughts on uh, on Kansas State offensive lineman Dalton Reisner, um, just kind of where he sits right now in terms of, uh, of projections and, and maybe some things he could do uh, to to perhaps climb a little bit higher. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's anything he can do to really climb higher at this point in time. I, I like him in the you know he's I think my 40th guy, so I have him in that early second round range. You know, teams differ in terms of. Uh, not only how they feel about him as a player, but where he'll play. Uh, I have him holding on a, a tackle and being a right tackle. Some teams want him to go back and play center. Um, I, I think teams, you talk to some teams, will have him in the second round. Some teams have him in the fourth round. So I think that's kind of the range for him. Um, he's got really strong hands. He's physical. Um, he's just a little bit tight, and that shows up in space. And uh, he's got some footwork stuff. He's a little bit of a heel clicker, something that can be ironed out and fixed. But Got a couple of technical things he can work on at the next level, but just a real solid, good football player that I think is going to start very early and uh, and have a good career. I like him at tackle. Some folks think he'll play center. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Zachary Brazilier of New York Post. Your line is now open. Excuse me, Zachary. Can hi, you hi, Daniel. I wanted to ask you about uh, Daniel Jones. I saw you mocked him at six to the to the Giants, and just kind of kept, wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, why his stock is rising so far, and why you think he would work for them. Sure. Um, look, the uh, the first question is it's a philosophical question of if you're the if you're the Giants, do you take the quarterback at six a little bit higher than you'd like? Or do you wait at 17 and hope that the one guy you really want is there? Um, I just think, in, you know, you kind of look at the teams for the most part. Uh, we'll see, the, you, know, you know, Lamar Jackson worked out well last year for the Ravens as their second first-round pick. But for the most part, teams that have taken a quarterback with their second first-round pick, the Browns have done it three times and it, it never really worked out. So, I just think if you have conviction in a guy and you want a quarterback, there's no such thing as taking him too early. Um, you take him in the first round, you're putting your job in his hands anyways. You might as well guarantee you get the one that you want. So that's why quarterback at six to me made more sense than 17. Uh, maybe Gettleman wants to gamble a little bit. I just 
I think that the uh, the more conservative thing would just be to secure the quarterback at six. So that's why I had him going quarterback there. Now, who that quarterback is is a total guess at this point in time. You know, you, you hear I've heard they like Haskins, I've heard they like Locke, uh, I've heard they like Daniel Jones. Um, I, I just know, you know, when you when you watch Daniel Jones play, the way he plays and the things he does, um, I think he can play an efficient game. Um, a team that's going to build around their defense going forward. I think you'll see that with the Giants. And we've seen it um, reflected in the Odell Beckham trade. And I think more of a conservative, efficient approach offensively. That fits to me with Daniel Jones' style. Um, and, uh, you know, everybody's kind of made the cut clip thing. I don't know if that has much impact when it's all said and done with that connection. Um, I just think stylistically how they want to play. I think having, a you know, a long track record of having played um, they're at Duke versus maybe Haskins with the one year. I just think that kind of falls in line more with the Giants. You know, I have it, the order of, that I have them rated, I have it Murray, Haskins, uh, Locke, Jones. But when you're putting these things together, you kind of go off fit. And I, I could see the fit there with Daniel Jones. So that's kind of a long way to get to why I had him taking Daniel Jones at six. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Chad Lysica of Des Moines Register. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. Thanks a lot. Uh, what teams in the first round are most likely to actually pull a trigger on the, on a tight end? And specifically with Iowa's TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant, uh, what is the furthest down the board you could see either one of them sliding? Uh, sure. Um, look, when I kind of look at where it starts for them, um, you know, I, I think you start talking about him at seven with the Jags. Um, that would make some sense. That's kind of this. This is kind of a spot for him here. Seven to the Jags, eight to the Lions. I know uh, Ebron did not work out well for them. Obviously, he's kind of got things going with the Colts, but I could still see Hawkinson uh, uh, fitting them and making some sense with them. Nine to Buffalo um, and ten to Denver. I think all those teams, uh, tight end, can make some sense there. Uh, 12 to Green Bay, uh, potential landing spot. Um, you can kind of go on through here. I, I think uh, Minnesota is a sleeper team for a tight end. They've done a lot of homework on tight ends. That would not shock me. Uh, I mean, there's a boatload of teams that could be in the tight end market. In terms of where the floor is, um, I had I had Noah Fant going to the Raiders at 24. I don't think he'll, he'll get down that far when it's all said and done. I think both those tight ends are, are are gone in the top 20. And if it's not to a team that's there right now, you know, when you look at the uh, the Patriots having a need and the uh, and the Patriots having a lot of draft capital, I would think if either one of the Iowa tight ends started to drop and drift a little bit, um, that that would be one phone call away for the Patriots to go get them. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Zach Behrman of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Your line is now open. Excuse hi, me, Daniel. Zach. In, in, hi, Daniel. In, in knowing Howie Roseman and Joe Douglas like you do, how would you describe both of their draft philosophies, and what do you make of the fact that almost all of Howie's first-round picks have been on the line? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one thing they have in common. I think people try and say, what's the difference? That's one uh, thing they share is uh, is building in the trenches, and that was something that, you know, having uh, been with Joe in, in Baltimore, and that was something that was preached there. And having been with Andy and uh, and Howie, that was something that uh, was shared. That belief was shared in Philly. So 
I think they have a lot in common in that regard. Um, you know, I think when you uh, when you look at Joe, Joe is uh, Joe is big on the player, not just the person, or the person, not just the player. Um, really, really digging on those guys and finding out who are the real tough guys. Um, that's something that's kind of been his calling card as a scout for a long time. And you can look at some of the guys they've picked. Um, kind of that's a, that's a that's a key ingredient to them. Uh, Howie, the thing that's great about Howie is uh, he understands the value. Um, he understands the you know kind of the, the the board in terms of supply and demand at certain positions. He understands how to move around um, and and just maximizing your value and and being able to say, hey, I know we like this guy, um, but we can move. We can still get him, or we can get somebody else we like just as much, um, and we can get a little something extra. He's just he's very good at at, uh, at kind of seeing the big picture and and having a draft day strategy. Um, but I, I do think they have a lot more in common than people maybe realize, and that they uh, they believe in building big. Um, you start with the big guys and you go from there. Great, thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Keo Robinson of Freelance Star. Your line is now open. Hi, Daniel. I just wanted to ask you. Um, what do you when do you see Gary Jennings of West Virginia going off of the board, and what do you like about his skill set? Sure. Um, again, you know, all these wide receivers, it's just tough. There's a million of them. That's my free advice to anybody, any parent that has a kid that's playing football and they want to play wide receiver or corner, just please push them to corner because there are a billion wide receivers in these drafts every year, and we're always trying to find corners. So. Um, that's a little bit what uh, what kind of gets to Gary a little bit. I have him in that fourth, fifth round range um, slot. He can play outside. He's a vertical threat. Um, he can make you miss. He just had some body drops. The ball got on his frame a little bit and uh, and had some drops. So that was a little bit of the uh, the concern there. But there's just again, there's just a boatload of guys, and I think that pushes him down. So you're talking about you know that fourth, fifth round range. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Aaron Mackman of M Media, M Live Media Group. Your line is now open. Daniel, I see you got Rashawn Gary going uh, number thirteen. What is your ceiling for him, and what is your floor with him as regards to where he ends up going in the first round next week? Well, I mean, I was. It's funny. Um, teams are uh, from an evaluation standpoint, and not just personnel, but coaches. Um, there's there's teams that are production based and there are teams that are trait based in terms of what they look for in players. And the, I, I've talked to I talked to a coach the other day who said if I was in San Francisco I would take Rashawn Gary over Nick Bosa. Um, there's people that you know, that love him because of what he has from a height, weight, speed, and uh, and what he can become. Now he's got to get healthy and then you got to hope that the production is going to follow the ability at some point in time. Some people love him. So in terms of the, uh, you know, how high could he go, um, I mean, I would probably say you, you start in the, the uh, you know, probably four or five Raiders bucks. And then, uh, you know, how low does he fall? I just can't see, you know, Miami not having drafted an alignment last year, offensively or defensively. This has to be a trench draft for them. Um, I expect them to go heavy there. And uh, just picking there at 13, I would think if Rashawn Gary fell down there, that that would, uh, that would be one they would turn in quickly. So I would say that's the floor. Thank you. Our next question is coming from C.J. Holmes of The Athletic. Airline is now open. 
Hey, Daniel. Uh, thank you for taking this call. Uh, my question is this. Um, what's your take on the way the Cardinals organization has controlled information leading up until the NFL draft? And kind of adding on that, Josh Rosen opened up about his uncertain situation in Arizona, inclusive interview with Sports Illustrated this morning. Uh, prove them right if they keep me. Prove them wrong if they shit me off is what he said. Um, does that help or hurt the Cardinals with Rosen breaking his silence um, when orchestrating a potential draft day trade? Uh, I don't think it has any impact. To me, what will impact, you know, the Rosen value is if you if you wait into the draft um, and uh, and now you start seeing some of these chairs fill up with quarterbacks. You know, you get these teams that have needs and they start filling those needs, then I think his value starts to go down because you just can't leverage one team against another team. Um, so I don't think anything he says or does in the meantime will have much impact on his value, uh, his trade value. In terms of how they've handled it, um, yeah, look, I, I, I fully understand um, not divulging what you're going to do. Um, I would just say I, just, I find it hard to believe they don't know what they're going to do. So I think you can say, yes, we've made a decision, and uh, no, I'm not going to tell you what it is. You'll find out on draft day as well everybody else. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons you do that is because if something were to happen, um, you know, Kyler Murray, anything were to take place with him, um, now you're on record as saying he's your guy and you've got to navigate through those waters. And, and if you just wait until the draft, um, you're, you're covered there. So I get not saying what your decision is. I just find it hard to believe that decision hasn't already been made. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Anna Hickey of 24-7 Sports. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel, I was just wondering about a few specific players. Um, Trayvon Mullen, do you think it's possible he could sneak into the first round? And then your projection right now for Austin Bryant, Trey Lamar, and Mark Fields. Thanks. Sure. Um, write these all down here. Um, let's start with Trayvon Mullen. I, I don't think he'll go in the first round. Uh, I think he's, he's more in that second round, maybe even could go uh, early third round. Um, I think there's some other corners that just have a little more going for him right now. They've got some more steam around the league. Uh, he's a good player. He's difficult for me to evaluate just because he wasn't challenged very much, um, but uh, obviously saved his best for last there against Alabama and played well, ended up running well. Uh, so you've got height, weight, speed. Um, he's got some, some stiffness there and uh, just not a lot of production. Some of it, you know, not his fault because they didn't really go at him. Austin Bryant, uh, he's kind of the forgotten man, as you know, on that on that Clemson defensive line. Um, I think he's probably going to go late second, early third round is uh, is where I have him. Unfortunately, with the uh, the pec issue, you know, pec strain, you can get a chance to test and run. Uh, but a uh, he's a good player. You know, he's strong, point of attack guy, all power. Um, he's uh, he's really really good playing over tight ends. Um, I like what he brings to the table there. I'm not as uh, I'm not as high on Trey Lamar. I have Trey Lamar kind of in a late late draftable guy, um, really seventh round priority free agent. And he did not run well. Um, I would say more than likely he does not end up getting picked. Uh, would be my guess. Uh, Fields is a is somebody with tremendous tools. Um, you, you're going to have to uh, rely on your your secondary coach try and get it out of him and develop him. He's uh now, he's very raw, but you've got a lot to work with there uh, from a talent standpoint. I, I think when it's all said and done, he's going to hear his name called probably in that, uh, you know, fourth, fifth round range. Um, only one career interception 
don't love that, but you're uh, you're definitely drafting the upside over the production there with fields. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Anthony Wood of Texans Wire. Your line is now open. Hi, Daniel. Um, quick question regarding the Texans Wire receiver group. So obviously with QT and Fuller, they've had a lot of injury problems this last year. Can you see him possibly taking a receiver between 54 and 86, and who do you think could fit that mold? Uh, it's a good question. I, you know, I still think, uh, you know, I said a little bit earlier, I think corner and tackle are probably – uh, priorities there. Uh, when you look at some receivers kind of in that, that mid-round range that could make some sense for them, uh, uh, look, there's there, there's a whole host of them. Again, like I, I feel like I've been saying this a bunch, but the, the receiver group, there's so many of them. Uh, it just kind of depends on what you want. I, I like Travis Fulgham a lot from Old Dominion. I like Keelan Doss a lot from UC Davis. Um, you know, we'll see where Terry McLaurin goes. He's the speed guy. So if you, if you want to kind of ensure – against an injury, which we've seen in this team with the offense, how it changed a little bit without Will Fuller. Um, Terry McLaurin from Ohio State is somebody that can replace that and uh, be a nice compliment to him uh, when he's out there. But if you have an injury with McLaurin, you want a flyer. Uh, Terry McLaurin could uh, could be that guy if you have an injury uh, to Fuller. So uh, I think he probably ends up going in that second-round range. I know there's some talk about him in one, but I think he's uh, he's more likely to go in the second round. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, as a reminder, participants, if you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one on your phone, unmute your phone, and record your name clearly when prompted. To cancel your request, press star followed by the number two. Our next question is coming from Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. I was wondering if you could rank for me three quarterbacks in terms terms of their being the best picks for the Patriots with Daniel Jones, Ryan Finley, and Jared Stidham, understanding that Jones is probably going to go earlier than the other two guys. Um, but also as sort of a follow-up to that, I'm wondering if you think there's a possibility that a lot of these teams that might be looking for quarterbacks in sort of that second tier could end up trading and, and trying to accumulate capital for next year understanding that the quarterback class might be a little bit stronger next year. Yeah. I mean, look, it's always a little bit dangerous when you start, you know, you know, talking about what next year is going to bring. Cause we, we never know, but uh, on the surface, from what I've seen, I think there's more high end talent, you know, consistent high end talent. I can't speak to the depth of what next year looks like. And so that's always risky when you're putting all your eggs in that basket. And if you don't end up with the top two picks, you don't get a shot at those guys. So, that's the tricky part about next year and trying to acquire some picks. In terms of those guys with the Patriots, I'd have them just like you listed them. Um, you know, Jones, to me, I, I don't think he'll be there. Um, uh, Finley is, you know, somebody that when I, I was at his pro day and uh, Nick Casario was there taking a look at him. And, um, look, he operates the way they like to operate. He's, uh, he's smart. He's efficient. He gets the ball out of his hand quick. Um, I think he fits offensively what Josh McDaniels wants to do and likes to do. I think he'd be a good fit there. Stidham is, the like, to me, he's one of the true wild cards because he spins it as well or better than anybody in this entire draft class. In shorts, he'd be a top-five pick. Uh, unfortunately, it hasn't clicked on the field like you'd want it to see at Auburn. Some of that is the lack of protection. Some of it is an offensive system that's not great for him. Um, but just throwing the football – 
He's a great athlete. Um, I think it's going to take a little bit of time to develop him. But I could make a case he makes a lot of sense for the Patriots because they've got a little bit of time, uh, no pun intended, with Tom there. Uh, he's uh, he's not going anywhere right now. So that would give you a chance to really develop a guy like this with a potential huge upside. It, it really is much upside as any quarterback uh, in the draft class. Stidham's very talented. Um, so that might be a risk worth taking. Thanks, Jen. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Josh Meyer of Center Daily Times. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. Thanks a lot for doing this. Uh, you no problem. Briefly spoke the, you briefly spoke at the NFL Combine about Penn State's strength and conditioning program. And since you've already addressed Miles Sanders in this conference call, I'm just curious, are, are there any other Penn State prospects you're higher on than your colleagues, whether it's a, a day two guy or, or a late-round flyer? Um, you know what? It, it's uh... – it's interesting. One of the more polarizing players is the corner, Oruwarie. Um, another one who, you know, like we just mentioned, he ran, uh, he ran better than, than I thought he would. Um, so he's, he's somebody that helped himself through that process. I, I questioned a little bit of his speed. I knew he had the production. Um, obviously, um, it pained me to watch him uh, finish off the App State game the way he did. Um, but, no, he's, uh, he's somebody that teams are split on. Uh, I could see him going in the second round. Um, I could see him going in the fourth round. So there's a little bit of a range on him. I kind of in, in split the difference. I have him more kind of in that third-round range. Um, another one that I am higher on, uh, I shouldn't say everybody. There are some teams that are uh, uh, that are big on him, but I, I just like the uh, the offensive lineman. I, I'm a fan of, of McGovern, and some people like him. Some people they are not fans at all. Uh, so I find myself on the high end with him. I, I think he's worth a second-round pick. I talked to a team last night that wouldn't take him in the first four rounds. Um, so he, he's uh, he's somebody that some people just uh, uh, don't care for as much. I like him. I think he's nasty. I think he's a finisher. I think he's very smart, plays with good awareness, um, and he can anchor down in pass protection. So he can play center guard. I, I'm high on McGovern, so that's one I'm maybe a little bit higher on him than uh, some of my colleagues. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Nick Fiero of Allentown Morning Calls. Your line is now open. Yeah, hi. Question um, about a running back who may not be on your board because he probably projects as a uh, as an undrafted free agent, uh, Dominic Bragalone from Lehigh. Um, and the reason I ask is because he's been putting up some big numbers, at least in, in terms of testing, with a four three, a four four five forty, and thirty one reps on the bench. Yeah, he's one. I've I've done uh, I've done gosh, almost 400 players now, and I haven't I have not got to him. So he's one that I will uh, I will definitely put a put his name down, and I will get to him before we uh, before we get to Nashville. Okay, thank you. Yep. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Michael Gelkin of Las Vegas Review Journal. Your line is now open. Hey Dan, how are you doing? Doing great, bud. Uh, you're uh. Your pal Mike Mayock has discussed wanting to add foundational players with his top, uh, four picks in the top 35. And although he's not an every-down rusher, Devin White would seem to qualify. If the team was to select White, be it early at number four, or perhaps later following a trade down where he might be a better value, would, do you think they'd still be able to adequately address their need at pass rusher in the late first-round area as well as throughout the rest of the draft? Well, I, I think when you hear – you know, foundational to me, you're talking about 
guys you feel are safe players that you can rely on and are going to be, you know, solid championship caliber players early on and you're going to, you know, they're second contract guys. I think with pass rusher, with edge rusher, once you get into the 20s in this draft, I know there's a, you know, there's a lot of depth, but these guys are going to fly off the board. Um, so once you start getting into the 20s, um, you know, we'll see. Maybe it, maybe a Brian Burns could uh, could fall down there a little bit. Maybe a, a, Cle- a Cleveland Farrell could uh, fall down there. I would put Farrell in that con- in that uh, term. I would say he's a foundational player. Um, he's somebody that's steady, that's reliable. I know exactly what I'm getting. Um, so that would be kind of the one guy I think has a chance to be there in the 20s that I think really fits that description. I think there's a little more uh, risk with Brian Burns. You know, tremendous upside. Love his uh, his, his get off and, and speed, um, but played really light last year. Added a bunch of weight. You know, can he hold that weight? Is a question. Uh, and I just again, I, when I hear that word foundational, I think of you know steady, safe, dependable, reliable, um, and that's where you know a, a guy like Farrell makes sense in that regard. <laughs> 